0: My name is Dr. Lindsay Weisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Darius Baxter is a badass in all the good ways. See, that's funny because his business is called good projects uh darius is the ceo and he has made a vow to get 500 families out of poverty by 2030 and he thinks he's selfish because he enjoys giving to people he enjoys empowering the impoverished community of southwest washington dc and he enjoys paving the way for children in the projects to find a way out of this pattern that they were born into in 2016 good projects began summer camp to keep children off the streets and out of harm's way as guns and bullets appeared to be everywhere that summer. And just think of where it must be now. They um, employed older teens as counselors to work and mentor these campers or dreamers as they like to call them. These dreamers, these children are fed three times a day and engage in academic enrichment and summer camp fun and some trauma counseling for all the things that they've had to go through at such a young age. This nonprofit has done great things and at 25 years old, Darius is only at the beginning of the amazing work he will do throughout his life. For more information on how you can help, visit www.goodprojects.org and be sure to follow Darius on Instagram at Darius Baxter or at Good Projects DC and on Twitter at Darius I Baxter. Um, Darius, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me today i'm very um excited i also did a thorough job stalking you um i yeah i also went all the way back to 2015 and saw what you wrote about um uh being black uh, at georgetown um
1: you you really you really dug deep there
0: yeah well guess what i <laughs> I have my Georgetown diploma in the corner over there cuz I yeah. went there too. So,
1: um I'm actually sitting in the Georgetown Venture Lab right now. My, are you? Yeah. Where
0: is that? So I couldn't but where is it on up. campus cuz it wasn't there when I was there.
1: No, it's off campus. It's, okay. right, it's literally the closest building to the White House on 14th and G.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. So, yeah. we're just <laughs> calling it Georgetown Venture Lab because
1: uh, because Leon just wanted to call it the Georgetown Venture Lab, you know. But sure. No, nah, it's it's a, it's a space that's occupied by, by solely by Georgetown entrepreneurs. So it's about well, pre-COVID, it's about uh, 40 okay. months in here.
0: Um, and so that space was there before? Like that was something that was established?
1: Oh, uh, it's been around about two years now.
0: Okay, so then yeah. I don't feel so bad. Well, I graduated in 99, so you probably weren't born were you born
1: I was, I was born in 99
0: motherfucker
1: okay that's embarrassing uh, that's what Eminem was
0: popping yeah yeah that's what I hear um but uh it was it's funny it was a long time ago and yet some things have changed and some things haven't like um I definitely first of all um I interviewed a uh, comedian, uh, Von Michael recently, and he's the one yeah. who, who was like, you know, you should talk to Darius, he, is great. he's really great, he's really nice, and I liked him a lot, um, and so, we talked about, like, comedy now versus comedy then, and, um, mm-hmm. like, when we all thought things were fucked up two years ago, and then they really got messed up, um, but so, when I started looking into what you were doing, it's incredible, um, and I really want to know, does, so you, you were, of course, uh, the head the CEO of Good Projects. Um, does that stand for anything? G O O D, or is it just okay?
1: I'd be a rich man if I had a dollar for every time somebody.
0: Really? Me. Okay, then I feel better because I thought it was a stupid question, and like, no, nah. because I thought maybe the G was for gentrification, and then I wasn't smart enough to do the others, the other letters, so I gave up.
1: Nah, the, the good, the good is just simply, it just simply comes down to. Like, we all have this responsibility to go out into the world and try to do as much good as we can. And I, I, I like to think that man makes plans and God laughs. And when we were deciding the name for good projects, you know, where we are right now as an organization isn't where we were when we started. Like oh, yeah. It was literally just, hey, we want to go out into the world and just do good projects. Like, we were in the nonprofit space, uh, and that was really our impetus. as 22, 21-year-old guys. It's just like, let's go out and do as much good as possible. Yes. Look <laughs> at where we are now, and we work in the largest housing project in Washington D.C. Yeah, it's almost ironic where it's like, damn, what does it look like to turn this like place that has been historically uh, underprivileged into a good project? Right, well, it's a good zone, you know. So.
0: Yeah, I um I did an internship in Anacostia when I Anacostia when I was um at Georgetown and um. You know, I had no idea what it was. I was working at St. Elizabeth's uh, Mental Hospital and I had no idea what I was getting into. But like, yeah. it's a different world where like there were people that were um, that were in the hospital, in the psych ward because basically they had a feud with their neighbor and the neighbor was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Erwin Act you and tell them that you're a danger to yourself or others. And then you get to go, you have to go for the hosp- to the hospital for up to 72 hours. And it was like,
1: yeah.
0: it was um, very shocking, and it was like a whole different set of of rules, I guess. Like I, you know, it's still people can't believe it when I tell them this. Like this was a way for, like to you know, revenge your neighbor, and it was probably, well, certainly more peaceful than anything else. But like it's a like it was, um, it was a mess in '99, so I can't imagine what it's like, you know, really? now. Um, and I know you've managed to really make a difference. Um, I saw on the goodprojects.com website that the goal was for five to get 500 families out of poverty by 2030. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. How do you, how do you do that? And how do you do that now during COVID?
1: Man, they, I get asked that question also all the time. Motherfucker, I, I want to
0: say something interesting, but I can't. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I'm not saying that the knock. I'm just saying it's like, uh, every time I get a little pushback on my response because when you look at good projects, I think people look at us through the traditional lens of philanthropy, where it's like, you know, what's your silver bullet to solve these issues that have stretched for generation and generation? And my answer is always simple, is that, you know, we treat the youth and families that are within our organization and that we're blessed to be able to have them, um, we treat them like family. (laughs) We all got people in our lives, whether it's brother, sister, cousin, uncle, you know, mom, dad, you know, that, you know, we're going through stuff that may not be struggling with mental health issues like you experienced it um, when you're working at St. Elizabeth, but, you know, may be struggling with getting a job or sure. maybe struggling to, to pay their rent. You know, we got a lot of people that are the the, um, the working poor in this country. Um, and when we have those types of folk in our family, we rally around them, we support them, we may be a little upset, you know, they calling us every month or something, you know, we all got that person but we help them right. and there's no greater joy than to look up maybe a year or two later and see them on their feet doing well. And how we've approached philanthropy and the work that we do with the projects is the same way. It's like something that one person needs might not be the same thing that another person needs. Who am I to come into a community and say, all right, we're, out, we're rolling out this one program and everybody needs to enroll. Everybody might not want to do STEM. Everybody might not want to be a construction worker. Everybody might not want to go to college. You know. And it's our responsibility if we're loving the people that we work with the way that we would love our family to provide every opportunity to them and allow them to create a pathway for themselves. So for us, it looks like a number of different things. Obviously, youth programming is where we've kind of made um, a name for ourselves. And we continue to do that, making those long term investments in the young people saying, like, you know, we want to create a generation coming out of this southwest community of young people that never touch poverty. That never experienced high levels of violence, and we're invested in that. But at the same time, it's going to their parents and saying, like, hey, you know, you could be a grandmother at 55 in this community. That doesn't mean that your life is over. That right. doesn't mean that you can't achieve your dreams. And let's go set and figure out what do you want to accomplish over the next 12 months. And hey, here's our family success coaches that are going to help you get there. You know, but that starts at a basic level, too, with, them. you know, making sure that we're doing our part, not just as an organization, but as a city. To make sure that families have, you know, housing that's not riddled with mold, or you know, you test the air quality and you saying, you know, this is the reason everybody in here got asthma and emphysema. Like, you know, this this kind of a two way street. It's things that we hold the the youth and the families accountable to, but at the same time, things that we hold ourselves accountable to. Going back to this idea of love, you know, it's a certain environment that anybody should want to grow up in, and you know, we make sure that we provide that for our uh, our community.
0: Right, and I also know that you go into each, you treat each community that you go into differently and you go in listening, which to. is huge. And there's, um, on your Instagram, there's a picture of you sitting down talking to someone across from you and there's like a huge back, Black Lives Matter banner in the background and I'm obsessed with that picture because um, re- like research shows like the best way to overcome whatever, Biases you have, you know, um, whether it be like, you know, racism, bigotry, sexism, whatever, is to bond with someone different than you over the shared over the things you have in common, rather than the things that are different. And that picture, um, I don't know. To me, there was something to be said about the, you know, it really represented. I guess the way you treat your corporation, and also um, something that people need to understand. Um, is like to listen first and foremost, and I think that's what you guys do, and that's why you've we've um, been so successful. Um,
1: yeah, but, yeah, I agree. But, I, but at the same time, I think the biggest problem that I have is really defining success. You know, I don't think that we're successful by no stretch of the imagination. We still have, you know, rampant inequality in the city. Yeah, we um, still are mourning the loss of not just people getting killed by guns, but kids getting killed by guns. Um, We still have a housing crisis in this city. Yeah. Um, Our education system is still shoddy, if that. Um, There's still a lack of opportunity. You know, if we're defining success by how many times that I've been written about in Forbes, then yeah, you know, we successful as hell. But that's not what I define success as. And that's what Mm -hmm. nobody should define success as. It's not about how much money we raise, not about how many impressions we have, it's about literally how many people when we look up in 10 years, are we going to be able to say, started in a certain place where they would maybe had an income of $14,000 a year, you know, touching poverty every single day, not always able to have food on the table to a point now where they're homeowners, to a point now where they're fully employed and their kids understand a clear pathway from where they are to be able to enter into the workforce and to have a career or to become an entrepreneur or an artist. Like sure. That's how I can find success, man. You know to be completely honest we're only just beginning so there's no way that i can look up and say like damn we successful not yet
0: right well i understand i define success as um you know the ability to make a difference in another person's life which i think by mm-hmm. fa- by far you have done and it's exciting to me that this is just the beginning for you because um i don't think success means you stop you know i mean in my job as a psychologist like it's a one-in-one thing and you know um some you know, for me if I help a little person a little, you know, does that mean it has anything to do with the money? No. And I learned that hard way. No one goes into psychology to make money. And they go into it because they're schmuck. So um but um but you are doing great things and uh, Forbes magazine is cool and all, but I I I I don't math at all. I almost failed stats at Georgetown, which meant that like, you know, so to me.
1: It's, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I do mean,
0: yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> to to me, it's not a um you know whatever. It's not about Forbes or a money issue. It is about the change that you make and the difference to make and that, and the hope that you give people. I mean, yeah. um, I saw uh Karza Posey. Am I pronouncing that right? Karza. Karza, Yeah, Carzee. Carzee, Thank you. Um, who's 13 and yeah. you guys set him up for like a, a fashion company um the respect brand and that now like that that's success that's making a difference um and bringing hope to others the same way you, i think your story and that of you know your uh, two partners danny and troy also brings hope to others it's a success story and an honest one
1: um you know yeah. no 100% i think that but i think it's exactly what you're saying around carze i operate from this practice where you know somebody else might have said it but i coined it as giving this uh being a believer like the bible always talks about you know give without asking for anything in return you know if your right hand gives your left hand shouldn't even know what it is you know but most importantly the more that you give the more you receive every time you put something out there you know you're just planting a little bit of seed right. that's going to come back to you tenfold so growing up in the household that I grew up in, you know, having a mother as a teacher, having a father that's a police officer, grandmother working in a church, father, grandfather driving a bus, you know, like everybody in my family, social workers, are doing something, you know, like it was always inevitable. Like you got to, became a way of life like to serve. And I saw how that was reciprocated, not always in money and monetary value, but just the amount of love we have for one another. Yeah. So now here I am as an adult, you know, particularly now, you know, transitioning into manhood, and I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a living testimony of that, you know. Look, even the, the blessing to be able to be on your show today, you know, for people that I've never spoke to before, to be yeah. hearing about the work that we're doing. You know, it's great to be able to come on. The, I, I joke about Forbes, you know, but it's great to be able to come on these spaces and talk about the work. But none of that would be possible if it wasn't for the guys like Karzai. They're the success. You know, I give in the hopes that the more that I give, you know, the more blessing that's gonna roll back. And they do.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything. I'm a selfish giver. And I own that. You know, I'm a selfish giver. What is I'm a
0: selfish a, giver?
1: Because there's no greater joy than to give.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Like when huh. you when you helping, when I'm helping our cars, they you know, and here's the thing, you gotta be, there's a little, it's a little spark you note. Know, it's like the only way you can really be as a selfish giver. Because if you give with a sense of like disdain or you know a lack of gratitude and the ability to serve then you will end up messing up your blessings in a way like where I give with a servant's heart like it's no greater joy to being able to sit down with a young man or a young woman and be able to help them It's no greater joy than to have some extra money in my pocket and be able to you know uh give it to the guy in front of the store or we're working on the school in Africa you know I'm self-funding that you know we're Doing a lot of the projects now, we're standing up with purpose party. That's money I'm putting out of my own pocket. You know, like there's no greater joy than to be able to do these things, because time and time and time and time and time again, when you work with the right reasons, when you operate with the right intentions, when you lead them with love, like God gonna come back and he gonna sweep you off your feet and be like, God damn brother, like thank you for having faith in me, like. You know, I think that's a little bit of what our generation lacks, but, you know, I hope to be a living testimony of it. It's like, when you go out here, you operate with love to try to help people, like everything works itself out, and you become the richest person in the world, like, and you don't even recognize it because you're so in the middle of it, you know?
0: But it's so nice to hear, like, we're living in such angry times, you know, like, um, um, and angry over stupid things. Like, I mean, I, I just, like... There's, there's, there is an anger that is, you know, acceptable. And then there's the idiots on my local Facebook group that are arguing over, like, like they could say the same exact thing and they'd still fight each other about it rather than like a, a bigger picture or, you know, people that were refusing to wear masks because it was, they, this claim that it was against our constitutional rights. And, um, you know, um, I feel like we're we're generating our own things to get angry about, and so it's so nice to hear you you know speak of of the love and of the giving and of
1: yeah you
0: know, that
1: that connection. Well, Anger—it's nothing wrong with anger. Even even Jesus got angry. You know, it's, I don't know you know about the story and about Jesus coming to church—he flipping over tables, cursing out people. You know, like yeah, anger isn't necessarily the sin. It's what that anger leads to that becomes the sin. Like. You know, at the end of the day, people have a right to be angry. This country is, is not in the place that it's supposed to be. Like, you can't Green. preach a concept of the American dream and provide everybody the opportunity to, to, it. you know, we just did a dream. And I think that whole experience for me was more of a, a, a research study to listen and learn more than anything. And, you know, it was like straight down the line. Half the people think the American dream still exists having people was like, not a moonshot. You know, and at the end of the day, if I'm somebody, take the kids that are growing up in the community that we growing up, that we work in, in Southwest DC. Mm -hmm. Here they are waking up every single morning, just literally before they ever leave the house, looking around their home and seeing mold, looking on their floor and seeing rat feces and cockroaches. And then walking to the refrigerator, opening it up and seeing that there's no food. But then they, they go and knock on their mother's door. And she may have been working, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours the day before. And she's tired now. So she can't even wake up to give them a kiss in the morning and tell them they love them. Right. You know what I mean? So here I am, a child growing up in this environment year after year after year. And then when I go out, when I turn 50, and then I turn to the streets, so I'm angry. Right. And then everybody gonna say, like, what's wrong with that kid? You There's know? a lot to be and angry about. And that's an about. extreme situation that's happening here in the Black community. Right. But take that story and translate it to whatever community, whether it's Appalachia or Arkansas, you know, here in the country, people are living these experiences. And then when you do have somebody like you know, the leaders that we're seeing that are coming in, stoking the flames saying, hey, I'll be your savior from these experiences, people are like, hell yeah. And they're also giving them permission to be angry where everybody else has told them you have no right to be angry or why are you upset? Or, oh, you need to go see a psychologist or a therapist. Like, People have a right to be angry. I'll be the first one to say that. But people in positions like me, people in positions like you, people in positions like our elected officials and our thought leaders and our business leaders, We have a responsibility as people that do have privilege and do have power to work constantly to try to make this country more equitable we have to work constantly to be examples of what love looks like in this country we have to work constantly to show examples of what righteous anger looks like not just anger that's all over the place and targeted at people
0: yeah, not the people.
1: That's the problem. It's the system that we have to work against.
0: I agree a hundred percent, and I was not by any means saying that people didn't have to, a right to be angry about some of the shit that is going on. And um, mm-hmm. I'm very angry. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pettiness that erupts because this climate is so charged, and mm-hmm. so you know, uh, people argue about like who. Like where your newspaper is on your front lawn or your neighbor, you know, like whatever it is. Like it's like they're stirring up where there are no problems, and what you described is a situation with a very, very real bleak beginning. Um, and yet, mm-hmm. you have the experience and belief of overcoming, you know, bleak beginnings. Um, and mm-hmm. um, and I think it's really fascinating and very like. Um, I think we've got to call into question God or fate or some higher power for the fact that you, first of all, I didn't even know that, okay. The football team was not very good when I was at Georgetown. So, uh, you know,
1: don't worry.
0: Fine. Good. I I was impressed that we recruited. I was like, yeah, but like, it's cool that they, this, the three of you ended up in the same place at the same time. And, um, you know, and that you had this, this experience on each other, or, you know, this experience with each other and this, influence, and it sounds like you really grow and change and work well together um, and have started this wonderful thing, you know, um, and you're right, there aren't a lot of minorities um, at Georgetown at all. Um, That was what you said in that five-year article (laughs) ago that I read, and there aren't, and it's true. um, You know, I'm Jewish, and I went to Georgetown, and I asked um I asked a question about um a word that he had said the professor had said it was teaching the problem of god class or theology or whatever and um I asked and the teacher goes oh I guess you don't go to church much and like laughed at me so I was the like I was the joke and you know I didn't like I didn't realize that I was a minority until that moment and even then my like one you know moment of discomfort was not really um and it wasn't even discomfort I just thought he was sort of Ask for like, you know, like just assuming that you know. I I guess I didn't realize what I was getting into to be honest. Like at the time, they were touting a ten percent Jewish students rate, which is only true if you count the medical school and the law school. So, because um, I think you, you know the undergraduate is is largely very homogeneous, and um, that being said, the connections are fantastic there. And you managed to you know to really. Um, God, I can't imagine how you guys, like applying for a government grant is a lot of work. And like, that's what kicked the, you know, that's what got you your first, um, I think that your first dip. And I think I I, I heard you say um, on another podcast that on a whim you applied for the government grant. And I just started laughing. I was like, on a whim, that takes a lot of work. It's really complicated. Like you uh-huh. downplay it, you downplay all the hard work, you know, and also-
1: Um, that's feedback that's feedback i get often you know but it's just understanding that and my my mental right now will shoot me in the foot for saying this you know but i just understand where my blessings come from like first and foremost i'm a king i operate every single day in that way i know what value i bring to the table i know how hard i work i know what my desk looks like right now and i need to get this stuff off of it but i can't
0: see it if it helps
1: (laughs) uh, but at the end of the day i'd be remiss to say that god's not playing favorites out here you know, I tell my staff as early and often as I can, I was talking to him yesterday and i mean, meeting, is like, guys, like, I don't know about y'all, but anybody on this team needs to be operating like we've been divinely chosen to do this duty. You know, we've we set out to do an audacious goal, which is to create a model. Our mission is to move these 500 families out of poverty over the next 10 years. Our vision is to create the model to move entire communities out of poverty at scale. Um, That's something that's never been done before. Yeah. Um, So to set out with that audacious of a goal, you got to be tapping into some higher power. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm a young black man that grew up in crack era, Washington, D.C., whose father was killed in his childhood home, who experienced poverty and homelessness. And I'm sitting across from you, um, and I get to wear sunglasses every single day, and I'm wearing shorts right now, you know, (laughs) in the office that I paid the rent for what my assistant sitting next to me, waiting for this to end so that we can work out what we're doing next. You know what I mean? Like God is good. You know what I mean? Like God is good. So Um, yeah, the hard work is one thing, but you know, shoot, I'd be damned if I sit up here and tote my greatness. It's going back to the, uh, going back to the the selfish giving. Yeah. And even you talk about the anger. I think that we, Part of the reason that we're so angry right now is because we put so much of this pressure on ourselves to be great. It's like, I got to do something. Like, I got to go out and, you know, uh, I got to be the smartest. I got to work the hardest. I got to go find this. I got to do this. And even take the spirituality out of it. It's like this understanding that we're not dependent on a higher power, let alone each other. Right. Like, and my ability to be dependent on a higher power makes me more freely to be able to be dependent on other folk. So I'll be damned if I ever sit up here and say that I've had a level of success. No, because nothing I've done has been alone. You gotcha. know, I would hope that that message it comes out in this conversation for the young entrepreneur, for the, you know, the, the, the upstart, the person that's maybe switching, maybe even somebody that needs a little bit of hope and it ain't got nothing to do with business. Like sometimes you just got to bring it all to the stage and be like, Hey, this is where I'm at with it. Can somebody help me? And you will obviously realize along the way that there's usually people that are conspiring for your greatness, not for your downfall. Yeah, and I think that I realized that secret early on, and like <laughs> here we are today.
0: Yeah, which is amazing. It's it, you said take faith out of it, but I have to think that your your faith in in God is a part of what I guess kept kept you strong, made you strong. You know, something to believe in and, and look forward to. Do you do you think that um, you know I mean listen connections with the church or whatever religious organization are are very common in uh, like resilient children or resilient adults as they grow up um, so you know it's it's a huge part of one's success is um, is this connection and this belief um, that you're part of something larger than yourself
1: yeah a hundred percent you know a hundred percent but you know the same way I can sit up here and tell my testimony about like where where I am now, you know, career-wise, I may be only a few steps ahead of where I was, you know, six, 12 months ago. Joy-wise, I'm a mile ahead. <laughs> like, and that came from, like, like I said, I can sit here and talk the successes of, you know, my faith now, but coming out of a place like Georgetown, you experienced that, you know, it was a very homogeneous environment. Yeah. Um, And it was an environment in many ways that tried to break the kid down. Yeah. Tried to make me not be confident. Um, It introduced me to uh, certain things that, you know, I know my mother wouldn't like. You know, and I carried a lot of that with me, not only for those four years, but the years after. Um, And I really hit a point where I was down. I was down bad. Like, and not just like, oh, you know, I shouldn't be out here, like, uh, drinking, or I shouldn't be out here doing this or that. Like, Damn, I want to kill myself. Like, wow. I'm down bad. Um, to the point that I actually, like, I left, I dropped everything. Like, I like Dave Chappelle that went to Africa for two months. Like, but spending that time away helped me to find myself and helped me to reconnect with, call it the creator, call it God, call it faith, call it what divine energy, call it whatever you want to call it. But that thing inside of me that drives me and is that light and darkness. I reconnected with it. And I came back with this new energy, like this new, this new, this new, I call it confidence. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah.
1: I can, if I can make it through that Valley, like in one that I created for myself, like I can make it through anything.
0: Sure. Yeah. I work with, I work with, I work a lot with suicidal teens and it's um, it's a low. That's really tough to explain to people. And, you know, um And a lot of people, I think, feel like they can't get through it or they don't understand it at all or, um, you know, my community was plagued by a bunch of suicides last year, which is why um, I ended up working with suicidal teens to try to prevent that. And um, so I also think there's something about hearing that, you know, you can't, get yourself back up. Um, I don't think everyone has to Dave Chappelle it to Africa, but um, valid, valid, fine. Um, it sounds like a, an amazing experience, but, um, and it, it's funny because you're, you're right. Forbes magazine story is much glossier and prettier, but the railroad isn't always so pretty. And I think that's, you know, um, I think you're very honest and true to yourself and vocal about, you know, about who you are. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it's funny that you're talking about Rosh Hashanah because it's not like on your Instagram because it's not on my radar yet. Give me a couple of weeks. Like, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, one of the great, even doing, going through that experience of uh, being able to put together a beautiful piece of content like that. Um, I partner with an organization called Jubilong. Um, it
0: sounds wrong, but I'm sure it's a good thing. Like,
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, <nah. laughs> no comment. Uh, okay. <laughs> You know, uh, little—it's—it's it's not as widely known about me. You know, I have a, a small production company, and we do some socially conscious content um, for some higher-end clients. And so they tapped me. They was like, you know, can you come out of retirement for a week and uh, do a piece of content for us around Rosh Hashanah? You know, it's coming up. Blah blah blah. Um, I was like, y'all know I'm not Jewish, right?
0: Okay, was- I-, <laughs> <laughs> I think they knew probably, but yeah. <laughs>
1: They were like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know you're not Jewish, we know you're not Jewish, uh, but you know we like your style of uh production. Can you please do it for us? You know we try and raise money for, um, for different people going through struggles in this moment of time. Like you know, cool, and that concept came together. But I think one of the most important things in shooting that was just the responses that people were giving. You know, and where Rosh Shauna is this, it's, this high holiday around forgiveness. Um, most people that sat down, if not all of them that sat down, said that the number one person that they need to forgive is themselves. Yeah. And for a variety of different reasons. You, know, you had a young woman that needed to forgive herself um, because she had left Arizona to pursue her career and her dreams, and her family kind of gave her a lot of shit for that, and she carried that weight for years even yeah. to this day to break down crime she's like she needs to forgive herself because she made the right decision regardless of what her family says all the way up to another person came and was talking about the forgiveness that they need to provide themselves for being sexually assaulted because they were blaming themselves for that experience sure
0: you know um, that's a that's a lot to put on your shoulders
1: uh, as an individual
0: yeah
1: i mean i consider myself a vessel i pray for these you know what i mean Yeah, I I pray. I literally pray for joy. I'm like, God, allow me to have so much joy that I need to give it out in bunches. You know, allow me to have so much wealth and joy and happiness that I just it overflows. I'm like a cup, you know what I mean? So much to give. Um, I've seen what the dark side of life looks like, so now I have no choice. I'm like, God, like if this is where I can resonate with people because I know it's no greater servant as somebody that's been through these experiences. Sure. I can't tell you exactly how you feel, but I can tell you how I felt when I was in a similar situation. And let's work through this together, because if you anywhere near where I was, then we got to work through this together.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't do that by yourself, I promise. No, you
0: know I, mean? I, I know. But even a, I mean, as a therapist, I know it's tough. I mean, you know, we say that we're like, a, we're a container for people's uh, emotions, which vessel is much prettier, um, but um, you know, it's still when it's it's a, it's there are still days when it's tough to be, um, you know, the container um, of other people's pain. But you know, obviously, it's something that comes naturally to you.
1: Nah, uh, definitely don't come naturally. Oh, okay. Comes well, to, everything is everything in life is practice. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's not easy. You know, the things that that we experience here good projects um, and even I've experienced in my life, no, you know, shit is traumatic. Yeah. It's traumatic. Um, but you say, be careful what you ask God for because he just might give it to you. Yeah. And when you set out into the world saying, hey, I want to solve some of the biggest inequalities that our country has seen in its history and or the world has seen in its history, you will see some dark shit. Yeah. I mean, Mother Teresa, we always see the pictures of her smiling like, you know, happy as hell, <laughs> you know, but, you know, she saw some dark stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, the same way I talk about, you know, calling on the Lord, you know, and calling on the higher power when I need that energy, same way sometimes on them dark days, you know, when we are lost a kid, because we've lost kids to gun violence, you know, uh, Davon McNeil, another example of a young man, you know, he used to be in our program. I don't know if mm-hmm. you got familiar with the story of Davon McNeil. Or,
0: I am you know. not. Can you tell me?
1: A young kid, Anacostia, ironically, um, he was on 4th of July walking home to get a cell phone charger to go back to a cookout and was shot by a stray bullet. You know, a kid. No more than 12 years old.
0: That's our phone.
1: Kid, you know, yeah. Um, but, you know, when, you, when stuff like that happens, you have one choice. You gonna either let it knock you out or we gotta roll the punches and be like, you know, this is even more reason why this work is important.
0: Right, I agree. And I also like the idea that um, you're creating a better tomorrow for these kids. Um, You know, I like the fact that you're starting with the kids and that it's, you know, it gives them the possibility and maybe with the eventual goal of hopefully changing that inequality or, you know, uh, homogeneous, um, you know, Ivy or near Ivy League education. It's, you know, um, and I think it starts by example, and that's what you're, you've done for these kids.
1: Um, yeah. And, I, you know, perfect example of that is uh, I'm on a conversation yesterday. Um, I do some work in real estate as well.
0: Uh, <laughs> okay. Actually, Wasn't expecting that. Sorry. It was just random. Okay. <laughs>
1: I own multi-unit buildings and work with the the, um, the Department of Human Services here in D.C. to transition mothers that are living in homeless shelters gotcha. back on their feet. And I'm having a conversation yesterday with this guy that I want to invest in my next project. And I told him straight up, you know, I was like, this is a for-profit venture. I'm letting you know, you know, yeah, it's going to be a lot of social good. I invest most of the capital back into the project. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to build wealth for myself and for you. Yeah. uh, And what I'm doing in the real estate space. He was like, I appreciate the candor. And I was like, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, my brother, I have, um, he had asked me um, to start the conversation, how I was doing. And my response was, I'm thriving and I have no choice but to be. And I brought it all kind of full circle. When I was telling them about the work that we do in Southwest, and I said, who am I to go into this community every single day and challenge youth and families that have been living in poverty for generations to think bigger than their own expectations of what the world has provided for them if I'm not doing that in my own life every single day? Yeah. If I don't wake up every single morning and see myself as a king, if I don't wake up every single morning and picture the day where I got my 20,000-square-foot mansion you know, with my kids running around going to... Uh, not just like pseudo Ivy Leagues, but you know, all of them going to Harvard and I'm eating sushi for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You oh, know. wait, now
0: Georgetown isn't good enough for us? Come on now. And I'm, I'm just kidding. saying. I'm, I know, I I'm, I'm, know. I'm, I'm
1: know. Yeah. For the stars here. I'm shooting for the stars. You know what I mean? Go, you know, go nothing for wrong it. with Georgetown. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with Georgetown. I love the school. <laughs> but like, I, I, have to, I have to manifest that in my own life every single day. Yeah. Like, the work that I do with the nonprofit, you know, only. 40% of it is what happens between hours of nine and five of good projects. Right. The other 60% is how am I becoming an example for the kids and the families so that when they go on for when they turn on the television, which happens, and they see me, and then I'm back in the neighborhood with them, they like, Mr. Baxter, you was just on television. Right. I am like, hell yeah, you can do it too. And you heard me. I was over there talking about you. Like yeah. You know what I mean? I seldom, I come on, you don't know, never hear no interviews of me. I'm talking about, you know, look at me on the grid, some fly as hell. Like, no, it's like, look, let me tell you about these families and these kids. They need to know that somebody is thinking about them, Somebody's talking about them, and that they can look at young black men like myself and say, damn, like, I can be that kid. Yeah. Like, I can be him.
0: Yeah, we have the same problem in schools. Um, there aren't enough, um, I mean, depending on the community, obviously, but like, there aren't enough, uh, pe- children need to see teachers that look like them. They need to be inspired by, you know, like they need to know that they can be in that place also. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And, um, I, I guess, you know, listen one, one more question, and this is not a simple answer, but like, how, how do we, how do we f- fix things? I mean, you're obviously doing it from, you know, from the, the at base community level. Um, and you know, what can I guess what what does what does someone who looks like me, how do I contribute to fixing things?
1: Yeah. I think it would only be uh it would only be right to end this kind of like on kind of the same tip that is carried. I think it's a basic rule for for living and it's a cross, whether you're Christian, Catholic, Jew, Islam, Hindu, Buddhism, whatever. It's just basic concept. paraphrased in different ways. Like, love your neighbor as you would love yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and again, I can go into the philosophy of, you know, philanthropy and, you know, programming and all this stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's not going to be the biggest takeaway. If you want to donate to Good Projects, you know, go on our website. You can look at our whole philosophy. Go to goodprojects.org. I don't think that I'm not here on this earth to preach about the basics of philanthropy. I'm here to talk about love. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think what's missed in that line, you know, love your neighbors, you will love yourself. Treat your neighbors, you will treat yourself. We look so much at the neighbor, like, oh, you know, I gotta treat them better than you. No, the first thing is, you know, as you love yourself.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So you ask, what what can you do?
0: You right. You're right. If you don't love yourself, you're not gonna be able to love someone else. And exactly. And a lot love of times, you. when we're pointing a finger, it's at someone else. It's related to our own self love or lack thereof
1: exactly
0: yeah um Darius thank you so much don't worry I will plug the you know what out of um good projects and um and all the other things that you're working on and um and I do hope that my listeners go to uh goodprojects.com and dot com or dot org dot dot .org,
1: .org.
0: org sorry .org. goodprojects.org and um and donate and um thank you so much for doing what you're doing and for making a difference
1: uh, thank you. Thank you. This, uh, stuff like this is, is going to blow up. You know, you're a great host. Very witty. I love the comedy.
0: Sorry, the comedy is um. an accident. but. Uh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear... Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks.